This episode of The Jukebox is helped made possible by Audible.com, the best place online for audiobooks. Audiobooks are expensive, 30 40 even $50 for one book. Audible has over 150,000 titles to choose from, all of which you can listen to on your iPhone, Android, Kindle, computer, MP3 player. Wherever you are, Audible has you. A membership includes one free book a month and discounted rates on all extra titles, saving you boatloads of cash. Many of the titles are even read by the author, and if you're like me, you love a good music autobiography. How about Neil Young's latest book, Read by Neil Young, or the Heart autobiography read by both Anne and Nancy Wilson? You got it. Listeners of the Jukebox can get a free book download and month on us to check out the service. Free. You keep the books you download from your subscription. Head on over to audibletrial.com slash jukebox. Again, that is audibletrial.com slash jukebox for your free month and book on us. Now, on to the show. You're listening to The Jukebox, your monthly dose of the very best indie music around. Please welcome your host, Brett Stewart. Hello, hello, hello. I am Brett Stewart and you are indeed listening to The Jukebox. I am your host and you are listening to the first special report from The Jukebox. So I want to briefly talk about what this is and why it's happening and what it'll mean for the rest of the show. So when I was looking at our numbers this week preparing for the jukebox, I noticed that about 65% of our audience is American. Now here in the States this week, Thanksgiving is going on, and in fact you'll probably be receiving this in your feed Thanksgiving morning because it'll take about 12 hours to disperse to all those feeds, and we're recording this pretty late on Wednesday. So I didn't want to put out a full episode because I knew that 65% of my audience probably wouldn't have the opportunity to delve into it when they'd like to, and everyone's very busy right now, there's a lot of travel, myself included, so there's a lot of that stuff going on, so here's what we're doing. This is a special report, and these these are going to happen more often, and hopefully, if you enjoy them, please send me an email, and that way I know, so we can keep doing them, and what they are is they are in addition to the content that you already expect from us. I repeat, they're in addition. They do not replace the main jukebox. So this week, you're going to get this special report. You're going to get a second special report on Friday, and then very early next week, you are going to get the full jukebox show for the month that includes all of the fun music, all that good stuff that you are used to. So what does this mean? Well, one, it means you're getting a lot more content on the jukebox. It means I'm putting out a lot more stuff. You have more to listen to over the course of the month. And I think that's really good because as it stands right now with one monthly show, you only get X amount of stuff to listen to and then you're kind of done. This gives you a little bit more to jam into your ear holes over the course of the next month. And I am happy to oblige by that. And I hope you guys really enjoy that. So this special report is going to be a couple different segments followed by a really compelling interview and then some music. And that's what each special report is going to be. Is they're going to be divvied up into uh, interviews, roundtable discussions, uh, me jammering on about things that I know are relevant to you guys because I get questions about them or emails about them. 
or whatever. We may even take phone calls from you guys at one point. So it's a really cool way for us to make new content on the channel, make it on the show, and really diversify what the jukebox means and what the jukebox offers. So again, this is a special report that you'll probably be receiving on Thursday, Thanksgiving. Uh, if you are one of my 65% that is listening in uh, the United States, please have a wonderful Thanksgiving and make sure to uh, turn on Alice's Restaurant during Thanksgiving dinner so for the next 16 minutes your family can eat in awkward silence and uh, hear about Arlo's draft dodging. You got to do that, right? You just have to. So if you're stateside, please have a wonderful Thanksgiving. If you're not, please have a wonderful week and um, whatever else you might be doing. So uh, this special report, we're going to be delving into three different topics. The first one is going to be streaming services. Which streaming service should you use? Why should you use it? What are the perks of each? I get this question on a near daily basis, especially because we have our different uh, we have our different playlists available on the website. Then the second discussion we're going to get into is uh, auto mastering whether or not auto mastering is something that you should look into. More specifically, this new service called LNR or Lander, however you want to say it, that seems to be picking up a lot of steam in the community. And then we're going to follow it out by an exclusive interview with Chris Knoll. We've been teasing this in the past. Chris Knoll was the longtime friend and touring pianist with John Denver in the last years of his life. He's producing some phenomenal music still, and you are going to hear some of that along with an interview. So without further ado, let's talk about streaming services. Okay, so what are we talking about when we're talking about a streaming service? Well, we're talking about one of the plethora of companies that have now come out to provide you the option to essentially subscribe to a service that allows you to stream music on a myriad of platforms. Uh, and that could be a variety of services, including Spotify, Apple Music, Tidal, Google Play, RDO, Amazon, all that good stuff. And what it essentially is doing is you're leasing the music, you're renting it, because you don't own it. You can download it onto a device for offline use, but if you download music for offline use and then stop paying your monthly subscription it's just going to take away that music so you don't own the music you're just it's a much like uh, Netflix you're base you don't own any of the movies on Netflix and once Netflix decides to yank them or once they or once you cancel your subscription uh, you don't you can't watch that stuff anymore it's the same idea now I am a strong 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 proponent of everyone being on some streaming service i think it's an amazing way to expand your mind i think it's an amazing way to discover new music and i think that they're very cost effective when you look at the grand scheme of what you're getting if you are a music fan who is constantly listening to music seeking out new music and trying to discover new things i think it is a must so if you are not on a streaming service hopefully by the end of this podcast Maybe we can figure out exactly what you should be on and why and what suits you, what what maybe you should avoid, all that good stuff. So what I'd like to do is I'd like to first talk about the different factors that we have to break them down into. We have to break them down into price, uh, quality, how big their library is, all that good stuff. So let's talk about the Goliath, and that is Spotify. Spotify, uh, and I should disclose, Spotify is what I use. And keep in mind, none of these services are a sponsor of this show, so I am not influenced in any way giving my advice or my critiques or opinions. 
Now, Spotify is the Goliath, and it has been now for the past couple years. It's about $10 a month, and there's a student plan, which I highly, highly encourage you to look into if you're a student. In fact, I would go as far to argue that if you are a student, if you go to a university or college, and you have a .edu email, you can just stop listening. <laughs> because Spotify is where you should go, because you can get that $5 a month, and that's pretty killer if you're a student. But anyway, Spotify's got the biggest library, it's got over 30 million songs, uh, and it also has a free version. It's ad-supported. My understanding of the free version, and I'm not on it, is that it is limited. It's ad-supported, you can't download music for offline use, and sometimes it messes with the play order of albums, which just peeves me to no end, because I have friends who listen on Spotify and they can't listen to an album the way it's intended to be listened to. So there's Spotify, and Spotify is pretty effective because if you look at the bitrate of Spotify, you're streaming it. If you're on a premium account, you can stream upwards to 320 kilobits a second. That is the equivalent of a CD. Now, that's pretty special, and I think that's pretty cool because if you're streaming on Wi Fi or uh, on a computer, that could be really beneficial to get that extra quality. Keep in mind that you can also bring that down and down and down. Say you cut it in half and you want, want to stream at 192, somewhere around there. You can do that because you may be on the go. You may be using your service plan. Because that's another thing to keep in mind. When you are subscribing to a streaming service, you have to make sure that it supports whatever platform you listen on. If you want to listen primarily on your phone. If you're always out, if you're on the go, you want to download the songs on your phone, well, you need to have a service that has a solid ability to do that, and that it has a app that is a good app on the platform that you listen to. For example, Apple Music is not yet on Android. So if you are a PC user or an Android user, you may want to avoid Apple Music. Now let's talk a little bit about Apple Music, because Apple Music is... Very, very similar to Spotify in many regards, uh, except that you can do a three-month-long trial. The pricing is about the same, except you can do a family plan. You can actually get six people on an Apple Music plan for $15 a month. So if you're a big family, stop listening, and Apple Music is where you want to go. Their library size is about the same as Spotify. Their bit rate is a little bit lower. Uh, some people are debating it's around 256 kilobits. Uh, Apple doesn't do the best job of disclosing that information, so that's something to keep in mind as well. Now, fortunately, all streaming services have provided offline playback now, which I think is very, very important, because what that means is I'm subscribing, I can download my whole library or certain playlists or certain songs onto my iPhone, and then I can head out on the go, stream it, be down in the tube or the subway, wherever you live and whatever you want to call it, and uh, you can stream that without having any service. At that point, you're not even streaming. You're just playing what's downloaded on your phone. So that's a benefit. That's really cool that you can do that. Now, there's a couple other services as well. Now, uh, Spotify and Apple Music are now the two titans, and Apple Music has come up very quickly because it's the platform that everyone wanted from Apple. Because the problem with Apple is that 10 years ago or so, more than 10 years ago now, they redefined the way we got digital music with iTunes. Now, iTunes is no longer sustainable in its current condition because there's a couple problems with iTunes. One, the song prices have gone up over the years. You could be paying up or upwards to a buck fifty, a buck twenty a song. Now, that's kind of mind blowing when you think about you're paying for Apple Music $10 a month and you have 3 million songs. 
if you listen to nine or ten tracks, you've already paid off what you would have if you had bought them on iTunes. On the flip side of that, if you buy them on iTunes, you do own them. So that's something to keep in mind. If you're a big fan of owning your music, that is very important to you. This might be something you want to avoid. But on the flip side of that, you can always use this as a discovery tool and then go and own whatever you want to own at some point. Because as I aforementioned earlier, um, they can pull stuff at any given time. Neil Young pulled all of his music from streaming services except for Tidal a couple months ago, and that really, really pissed me off. And if you want to go read my full views on that, head on over to brettstewart.net, click the Personal Musings tab, and I have a great article up on that. Basically, he said, I'm not going to... Uh, influence streaming because I think streaming is uh, poor quality. It doesn't pay enough out to the artists and uh, it's just bad. It's bad for the music industry. And I wholeheartedly disagree with him. The quality, the quality of it is the same as a CD if you're on Spotify music. And he was making the argument that cassettes are less quality, which is absurd. Um, objectively, he's wrong. And, uh, I'm sorry, cassettes are higher quality is what he said. And, uh, and he was, he said AM radio was higher quality than Spotify. He's being a grumpy old man. I love Neil Young, but he's being a grumpy old man. Anyway, um, so artists have the right to pull it at any time. So that brings us to Tidal. Now, Tidal is Jay-Z's service. And when he put this thing out, it was this very highbrow. We are artists controlling our music because we want our music to be owned by us, we want more royalties to go out to the artist, we want to curate our own playlists, and we want to own the company. So Tidal has part stake owners, everyone from Win Butler of Arcade Fire, to Kanye West, to Taylor Swift, I think Taylor Swift, um, to all those other, to uh, Daft Punk, so many others. So here's a couple benefits to Tidal. First of all, Tidal streams at much, 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 much higher quality than any other service if you are on their premium plan, which costs $20 a month. That's a lot. But you're getting lossless audio, so you're going to get three times the quality of even the highest quality that Spotify can offer you, or any of these other services for that matter. That's a lot, though. $20 a month is a lot. Fortunately, they've really built up that library over the months since their release, and now they're at about just as many tracks as Spotify. And a lot of the artists that got pulled off Spotify, people like Taylor Swift, people like Neil Young, you can listen to on Tidal because they're giving their music to that because it is higher quality, because it pays out more to the artists. They believe in that, and that's why they stick with Tidal. In addition to that, artists like Prince, potentially Kanye West in the future, all those guys are releasing exclusive Tidal things. I would not be surprised if the next Kanye West record, the one that he's working on with Paul McCartney, drops months prior on Tidal, or weeks prior, or a week prior, whatever, before it hits the mainstream. So that's something to keep in mind, too. Now, Tidal offers a $10 a month plan that is just uh, the same exact service as what you would get with Spotify, but why bother? Why would you pay for Tidal if you're not going to go for the reason it exists and get lossless audio? One thing to keep in mind with Tidal, though, is their app kind of sucks. So if you're on the go, you're not going to get the best quality. Uh, at least in your user experience. And then the other problem with Tidal is it doesn't have a platform on the computer to actually use. You're using a web browser that can kind of prove problematic in some ways, whereas Spotify has a really phenomenal uh, program to use on your computer. That's pretty important, I think. 
So that's something to keep in mind. So we've talked about Apple Music, we've talked about Spotify, and we've talked about Tidal. So let's talk about a couple others rather briefly. Amazon Prime Music is connected in with Amazon Prime. It's $99 a year, $49 a year if you're a student. The music library is very, very small. It's only a couple million songs. I think last reported there was like two or three million or something rather small in comparison to these others. So I wouldn't use it as a primary platform. However, however, if you pay for Amazon Prime, which in itself is a phenomenal service, you get free two-day shipping on mostly everything on Amazon's website. You get stuff from the Kindle Lender Library if you are a big reader. Uh, you get unlimited photo storage. You get a bunch of cool stuff with Amazon Prime. This is just glopped into that. So if you're already paying for Amazon Prime, there's no sense hopping into the Amazon Prime Music and seeing what it offers you. It might not be... In fact, it won't be... Uh, a 20th or a 30th of what Spotify or Tidal or Apple is going to offer you, but it's something that is worth exploring. And I actually think once Amazon expands that library and gets it up in the 20 and 30 million uh, range, that is going to be a really, really uh, sexy alternative to something like Spotify because you get everything else glopped into it. And to be honest, I'm not entirely sure what's taking them so long. Because a lot of these services, in fact, every single one of these other services has more than 30 million songs. I don't know what's taking Prime so long, and I don't know why they're having so many issues. So that's something to keep in mind. I would avoid it as a primary platform simply because the library is small. And you, you'll start to notice it. Like, you may say, well, holy crap. A million or two million or three million songs is way more than I'm going to listen to in my life. And you're right. But... You'll start to notice it once you say, I want to listen to Blood on the Tracks. And then you go and you look for Blood on the Tracks, and they have Blonde on Blonde, and they have Highway 61, but they don't have Blood on the Tracks. That's the thing you're going to notice, and I don't actually know if they don't have Blood on the Tracks. I'm, I'm just using that as an example. So that's something to keep in mind. A couple others are RDO. RDO just filed for bankruptcy very, very recently. They were bought out by Pandora. The reason I am mentioning them is not because I want to suggest them in any capacity, because again, they just filed for bankruptcy. But the reason I want to talk about them now is because I think they are going to be the powerhouse that essentially reworks the way these services are giving you what you're paying for. Because RDO was a rather good, I know a lot of people who use RDO, a streaming service that had 30 million songs, a good playback good prices, you could do a free tier if you wanted ads, it had a desktop and a mobile platform, pretty good stuff. But the problem with it is that it ultimately fell victim to not being able to compete with Spotify and Apple and Tidal and all those guys. Now, Pandora just bought it out in its bankruptcy, so I think what is going to happen, in fact, I know what's going to happen, is Pandora is going to work a streaming platform into their service. Because lots of people love Pandora. I was talking to someone yesterday who said I used to subscribe to Spotify, but I hated it because I never know what to listen to, and I just had no idea. So I went back to Pandora because I can just type in folk music, and I have endless folk music. That's a very, very valid reasoning if that's the kind of music listener you are. I suspect that in the next year, you are going to see a Pandora with a subscription option. It may be more expensive. I don't know, but I think that that might be the standard because they are going to create the best of radio which is undeniably pandora music 
and they're also going to combine a really, really terrific streaming platform into it. So that's something to look for on the horizon. As long as I mentioned it, uh, there is radio on pretty much all these services. I actually think Spotify's radio is rather good, but um, Apple Music also offers a, 24, a 24-7 radio station that is manned by a live DJ, and they'll have people like Kendrick Lamar and uh, John Legend come in and actually DJ for a while. So that's kind of cool if that's what you're into. Uh, and then finally, just to wrap things up here a little bit, you could look at something like Google Play. The Google Play is basically a Spotify clone. It has the same quality, same library size, costs about the same. It's rather good. I really do like it. I just decide not to use it because I don't like that it doesn't have a platform. I have to use it on a web browser, and I'm not a huge fan of their app. But one huge, 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 huge benefit of Google Play that you should be using, even if you are not a subscriber, this is important, is their 50K locker. Now, what this is, is that you can sign up for Google Play, and I don't even mean sign up because it's already included if you, if you have a Google account for Gmail or whatever. Now, you can sign up and get 50,000 songs for free. Uh, space, not actual songs, space for 50,000 songs. So you can load up uh, 50K songs into this and it will save it. It will. It's a great way to not only ensure that your music is protected and backed up, but you can download the app and then stream your music anywhere you want completely free. So if you're one of those people that has a massive iTunes library, download Google Play, download the Google Music Manager, Upload your entire iTunes library into it with one click of a button. If you have less than 50,000 songs, you can do this. And bam, your entire library is now on the web, backed up, saved, ready to stream on any mobile device. iTunes, or I mean iPad, iPhone, Android, whatever. And it's free. You can't beat that. And then finally, there's stuff like Rhapsody. I know some people who still use Rhapsody... Quite frankly, I don't know why. And uh, then there's Xbox Music, which was the the uh, follow-up to Zune once the Zune marketplace got completely annihilated by the market. And uh, to be perfectly blunt, I don't see the, pur- the purpose of using any of those, uh, perhaps with the exception that Xbox Music funnels into your Xbox very well. So if you are a gamer and you have an Xbox, maybe Xbox Music might be a valid solution for you. So we've just reviewed six or seven streaming services, and I threw a lot of info at you, and I hope it helped. So let's talk about what would you want to use. Well, if you're a student, I would suggest Spotify, because you're going to get a a great platform, a great library, all for $5 a month. If you're not a student, I would still suggest Spotify because it's still the best platform. It has the best app. It has the best pricing. It is undeniably the best. However, if you want lossless audio, go with Tidal. If you want to run that through a hi-fi audio system, if you have really good headphones that you want to take full advantage of, Tidal. If you have a family... Apple Music, because $15 for six people, that's nothing. 
hell, just find five other friends and sign up for it and pay a couple bucks a month each, and even that's cheap. So Apple Music is the way to go if you're a family. Or if you're just a diehard Apple fan and this works very well with the rest of your Apple hardware. Now, if you're just getting into it, consider Amazon Prime because you may already be a subscriber and don't know that this is part of your subscription and you could get some really cool stuff from it. I would not subscribe to the service just for the music because I think it's very lacking, but Amazon Prime offers a lot of really great stuff uh, and the music is really just a bonus at that point. I can tell you right now that as a someone who very much embraces the modern age, I use the Amazon Pantry to order a lot of groceries to myself. I use Amazon Prime to order everything from something big to something that costs $4 because they ship it to me in two days. It's it's right here in my apartment. I don't have to go out. I don't have to do that. Since I live in the middle of the city of Chicago, it makes it a whole lot easier for me when I'm not running around to stores shopping for different things. I would never again walk into a Best Buy in my life because of Amazon. So the fact that I have a music library with them is pretty cool. And now with that said, there's no reason you can't mix and match some of these. Technically, I have Spotify and Amazon because I pay for Prime and I pay for Spotify. I also use Google Play Music because I want that 50,000 songs for free. I store all the music I own in there, even though I don't pay the monthly fee because it lets me do that. Now, if you own an Android phone and you have all Android devices, you may want to consider Google Play because that is going to work very well with your devices. In fact, I would argue that what you want to listen to and how you want to listen to it is the deciding factor for any of this. So that is really what it boils down to. The Goliaths are going to, at the end of the day, are going to be Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Play. They are going to have the biggest libraries for you. Tidal has a great library too, but its app still sucks, its business model still sucks, its price still sucks. It is way too expensive. They need to bring their prices down, and the lossless audio needs to be 12 or $15 a month. $20 a month for lossless audio is insane. No one's going to pay that, and that's why the service has been floundering for the past year. In fact, even though it's growing, I could see title filing for bankruptcy in the next five years. Hell, the next two years. So that's the other thing you have to keep in mind is the longevity of the service that you're putting your eggs in your basket for I subscribed to Spotify four or five years ago. That's four or five times the lifespan of a bad service or a mediocre service, but they continue to expand their service and make new things. I can hop on my Spotify app. I can make playlists. I can listen to radio. I can stream 30,000 songs. I can download things that are offline. And it even has fun little gimmicks, like if you're running, it will match your music from your library to your running speed. (laughs) So to keep you in rhythm when you're working out. It's crazy. So at the end of the day, my suggestion to you is Spotify. You do what you need to do, but I have just given you the info. I hope that was helpful. I hope that was somewhat informative and hopefully somewhat entertaining as well. Now let's talk about auto mastering and the process of auto mastering, what it is, why it's important. Is it the bane of our existence or is the next best thing in the industry? Let's talk about it.
Okay, so since L and R, or Lander, which is L-A-N-D-R, Lander.com, dropped in the past year, I have gotten endless questions on YouTube, on my email, from this show and people listening to it about whether or not they should use it, whether or not it's a scam, is it worth the money, what is it, etc. So it is the first major auto-mastering platform. Now basically what that means is you subscribe on a monthly or yearly basis, just like the services I was just talking about, and it lets you master your songs easily and quickly. You drag and you drop your file into it, it masters it, and I say master very lightly because it's not really mastering, but we'll get into that. And then it pops out a radio-ready file that you can download straight back from them and use however you want. So LNR is the service we're going to be talking about. They're not an affiliate of this program, but I do subscribe to them. I do. And in fact, what you are listening to right now is Run Through LNR. Because I actually think that this is a superb platform for podcasters. Because when you're listening to the jukebox, there are 20 or 30 songs that are running through the course of two or three hours. Now, most artists send me pretty well-mastered songs, but they're all mastered very, very differently. That's one thing to keep in mind. So when I'm putting together a whole a whole playlist of songs in one big show, LNR does a rather good job of making sure all those levels don't surpass one another and everything sounds great on your ears. Now, when I load the jukebox into LNR, I use the lightest uh, mastering available. It has three options. It has low, medium, and high. Now, basically what these options do at least in my opinion, is they're basically hard limiters to some extent. Um, They level out your audio so nothing peaks over a certain level, Uh, nothing is screeching, nothing is overly loud, nothing is overly soft. Kind of keeps everything in in balance. Now, my recommendation is when you're using LNR, always use the low setting no matter what, because that will give you good audio, at a reasonable level that doesn't get loud, does not get distorted, does not compromise the song quality or the audio quality. I strongly believe that the medium and definitely the high settings of LNR are kind of sketchy territory, and I would not use those. So I subscribe to the service, and I think it's pretty good for the most part. Now, professional studio engineers and people who live their career mastering music are very against it. They argue that mastering is an art, and that every song needs to be mastered differently, and L&R will never sound different than the way, I mean, will always sound different and worse than the way that they're going to master a song. And they're not wrong. Mastering is definitely an individualistic art that is different for every single track that you're going to master. But the fact of the matter is, in the independent industry, there are not a lot of people who know how to do that well. It can be very expensive to hire someone who knows how to do that well. And sometimes you just need to get something to sound at the right volume so when it goes out on Bandcamp or goes out on YouTube, you don't look like a fool. That is what LNR is here for. If you want to make the argument that it'll always sound worse than a professional mastering engineer, then duh, of course that's the case. That's always going to be the case. That's like saying never use Spotify because I can go out and buy a vinyl record. The vinyl record is always going to sound better, but it's much more expensive. It's a whole different, a whole other thing, a whole other ballgame. 
This is for independent artists, podcasters I would say can be very useful for, that are trying to master their music, make it sound good, affordably, without much experience, and they do a pretty good job of that. So they offer a variety of plans. You can uh, do a couple low-res things a month for free. You can do a basic plan that's like 6 bucks a month that lets you do low-res files. They consider low-res 192 kilobits per second. You can also do advanced, which lets you do unlimited low and high-res, which means you can do 192 and 320. And then they do pro, which lets you do both of those along with high-res uh, uncompressed wave files. Pro's pretty expensive. It's about $40 a month. Now, I think it's, for the most part, worth what you pay for. In my opinion. I am subscribed as a pro subscriber on a yearly plan. Now, yearly costs $300 a year. Now, but here's the thing. When I went over the LNR and I said I'd been subscribing monthly for a couple months and I really enjoyed it, but $300 a month is just a little too expensive for me. Before I could even click exit on the chat window, the guy was like, have it for 150 Here you go. So if you talk to LNR, there's a very, very good chance they're going to massively discount whatever you're looking for. They want to get people in on this, and I think they know their prices are massively inflated. So what I would suggest doing is pay for it for a month or something at whatever tier you're going to use, see how you like it, and then maybe talk to them and say, this is really expensive. Are there any deals available? And, and then threaten to leave, and they might very well discount it like they did for me. For 150 bucks a year, this is a no-brainer for me. I'm running podcasts through it all the time. I'm running basic audio things for YouTube through it all the time. It's a great way to save my time and get things out. And sure, I sit there for hours and hours and hours on end mastering my albums. And I enjoy doing it because, as I mentioned, it is an art. But there's sometimes I'm putting out videos and putting out podcasts and I don't have the time to sit there for six hours and master something. And that is what this is here for. And to be frank, most people don't know how to do that to begin with. So that's what it's there for. Uh, it's a pretty good program. They now offer a desktop app, which I'm pretty sure just works as a plugin for your DAW. Um, I can't test that because it's only available for Mac. So if you are a Mac user... I would love it if you would go try this and email in and I will read your response on the show and let me know what you think of it because you can try it for free and you can master a couple tracks on it for free. So if you're a Mac user out there, go give it a shot and let me know what you think because they just put this out in the past like week or two and I would love to hear what you guys think of that. So it's a good service. It's pretty expensive. I and I mean, it, it's a little daunting when you look at something that says 150 or $300 or 100 bucks a year, but you get a lot from it if you're mastering a lot if you're just mastering a thing here and there it may make sense just to pay per file which they let you do or just pay for basic plans they let you do all that now is it indicative of a music industry that is evolving into a worse place because as the music industry progresses audio quality gets worse which is just objectively true for the for the most part obviously your cassette is low quality. Neil Young, I'm looking at you. <laughs> um, but yeah, for the most part, audio quality has gotten somewhat worse. You go from your vinyl, you go to you go from your vinyl to your cassette. Uh, you go from your cassette to low quality streaming. You go to CDs, which are lower quality than vinyl, but higher quality than cassette, and it's just a big jumbled mess. 
and some things just don't sound as good as they should. Now, uh, does this perpetuate that problem? Because what it's saying is that you don't need someone to professionally master this. And that's what they say, sound like a pro without paying studio rates. Now, I don't think they're perpetuating that problem. I would argue that they're actually making it better. Because even if it is an algorithm, and I actually think it's a pretty sophisticated algorithm, because it doesn't just put a hard limiter on your track, I should specify that, it also seems to level out the sonic intricacy of it quite nicely. Um, Again, not like a studio master, but it does the job. So I think, in a way, it makes it better, because uh, as many of you know, I work professionally as a critical reviewer for a multitude of publications. I'm a critic. I'm also a public relations person who works constantly on writing press releases, writing content, doing interviews. I do that outside of the jukebox for my day job in addition to being a student. I think that a lot of the artists that I listen to on a daily basis, if they had thrown their music through even a basic service like Lander, L&R, it probably would have sounded better. Because the... The reality of it is not a lot of independent artists have the know-how or the money or the training to master their tracks properly and make them sound the way they should. A lot of these guys, they mix and master their songs all weird and they sound weird across all devices. Maybe it sounds great on the thing that they're mastering it with and then once it hits someone's iPhone speakers or a certain pair of headphones, things get kind of wonky. That's very, very common. This kind of prevents that. It isn't the end-all be-all solution. It isn't the professional solution. And hopefully it's not the solution everyone uses blanket for everything. There are times when you may want to master something on your own or with, with an engineer. But it's a great alternative to sounding like an idiot. And I mean that in the nicest way possible because someone like me might get your music. Your music may land on my desk and it's mastered very, very poorly. And even if it was just using a $10 a month or whatever service like this to clean it up a little bit, it would have been behoove you to do it. So that is what I think about LNR. I suspect that other services will start to pop up. I don't really know. This is kind of in its infancy. This is a new idea, and this is something that we haven't really dealt with before. Um, so it's hard to say where it's going to go from here. I suspect you're going to see mixing services that let you drag and drop stems into them and mix them easier than a DAW. I imagine you're going to see improved features from LNR. They, they, they argue that they're improving their algorithm on a regular basis, that they're going to start offering more features. So say, in addition to saying low, medium, or high, you can also say low folk or high electronic or something like that. And they seem to be doing a pretty good job of that. On a side note, I've interacted with their customer support team a couple times, and it's pretty good. They get back to you very quickly, they troubleshoot with you, they follow up with you. It's pretty good. So my my recommendation to you as a jukebox listener, you as a uh, any level of, of person who makes music, and especially, in fact, if you don't make a lot of music and you do it very, very little, I would argue just stay away from this or use it on a per-song basis. But if you're making fairly regular music and you are inexperienced or you are not as good as you would like to be or you just want a time-saving tool check it out. It's a pretty good service. I think it's worth your time. A lot of the jukebox content is run through it on its lowest setting in order to level things out after I master them the way I want to, 
because that just makes my life a whole lot easier and that makes sure that every single device that all of you are listening to on is going to sound very, very good. So that is auto mastering. Is it the future of our industry? Probably not. Is it here to stay? Most definitely. Now, let's talk about Chris Knoll. straight from the jukebox. The following interview is with Chris Knoll, the acclaimed and incredibly talented pianist who worked extensively with John Denver in the years leading up to his untimely death. I was able to sit down with Chris and talk about all sorts of really fantastic stuff. He's a very, very talented guy. He's got a lot of cool music out. You should definitely check him out. Here he is, Chris Knoll. All right, you are listening to The Jukebox, and we have the pianist, instrumentalist, and incredibly talented performer, Chris Knoll, on with us. Thank you so much for talking with us, Chris. Oh, you're, you're very welcome. I'm happy to be here. Thank now, you. now you are you're most notably recognized for your work with John Denver, but I want to talk about both your work with Denver and what you've done outside of Denver. So what I was hoping we could touch on is a bit of a musical chronology of your life as a musician. So the first thing I wanted to talk about is your beginnings as a musician. What, uh, how did you get turned on to your instrument, which is the piano? And uh, how did you evolve into a such a talented musician? Wow. Okay. Uh, well, I started like a lot of other uh, young folks, where I just had this uh, innate interest in, you know, I had this <clears throat> hunger to start learning how to make music, and uh, I it, it came at a very young age. <clears throat> I believe I got my first piano finally when I was nine years old. And uh, thanks to my parents, they uh, they trusted me enough to uh, actually get me a piano because you know every every kid wants a piano, right? We hear that a million times over, and then they play it for a year and quit. But anyway, um, the bug really hit me, and I, I worked at it. Uh, took lessons from a lady down the street, and uh, of course, I hit my teens. And uh, at that age, you want to uh, kind of rock out a little bit, and maybe get in the Get in a garage band and, and play the stuff on the radio, opposed to what's in the in the music books. And that's when I really start uh, learning to use my ears and pursue styles of music that really, really you know, um, touched me and influenced me. Now, when did you get connected with John Denver, and how did that happen? Well, uh, I. Uh, I've played music all through my teens into my 20s, and uh, I was from the East Coast. I, I grew up on the East Coast, right outside of Atlantic City. And um, in 1987, I decided to uh, make the move down south to Nashville. Uh, what brought me to Nashville was uh, the Southern rock styles of, uh, you know, I was really heavily influenced by uh, Billy Powell with uh, Leonard Skinner and Chuck Lavelle with the Almond Brothers. I figured uh, it would be wiser for me to go south and pursue that style of music. 
of course, I got to Nashville, and uh, country music is is king here. And I uh, got introduced to uh, various acts, small, medium, and national acts. And uh, after a few years, I was being exposed to bigger and bigger acts and, and getting better offers. And I finally, uh, in 1993, I was introduced to uh, John Denver's good friend and co-producer Chris O'Connor. Uh, we worked together in a studio on a recording session, not with John, with with another recording artist. But uh, thankfully, Chris O'Connor liked what he heard uh, from my playing and my studio work. And a year later, they offered me the spot with John. Very cool. Now, one thing you briefly talked about with other interviews is that your uh, your work with with John Denver seems to surpass that of a typical bandsmate and their employer. You seem to have a relationship with him, and a, a, a very positive one at that. Am, am I reading that right? Uh, somewhat. Uh, uh, meeting and working with John Denver really uh, changed the trajectory of my music career. I, I learned a lot from John, and I tell people this a lot. Um, I've met so many people through working with John and, and still meet them uh, to today. Uh, I'm introduced to different acts, different singers, different fans, different friends. And, uh, you know, he's been gone a while and there isn't uh, a day or two or three that goes by where someone does not ask me about John or me working with John. So he's, uh, him and his music are still a big part of my life. You, one original track that you have on your record that came out a couple years back, it's called Fly Away, Piano Perspectives, The Music of John Denver. And I reviewed this on my website, The Independent Spotlight, just a little while ago, and I gave it a glowing review. And as, as Chris and I were talking pre-taping here, I don't always give glowing reviews. I'm, I'm a critical writer, and I want to benefit independent musicians by giving them honest criticism. Now, with this record, you can go and read it on the Independent Spotlight. Uh, it's a gleaming review because it is an exceptional record because you do a great job at, at a couple things. First of all, uh, the homage that you pay to Denver is very true and honest. You take these songs and you don't... Uh, you decided to stay somewhat faithful and embrace a level of brevity that I think is admirable, and they're beautiful takes. Now, there's one song on this record called Woods Lake that is not a Denver song. It's your song. Could you talk a little bit on that? Sure. Well, thank you so much for the kind words and, and, the, and the wonderful review. Uh, what you just said is, I, you know, I feel that inside when I... Uh, got the concept of the record and actually recorded the record but to hear it back from you and other people really makes me feel like uh i did what i set out to do with the record but uh so woods lake is uh one the only original composition that i uh, included on the 12 song record uh, of course the rest are john denver hits um but yeah i had a. Uh, you know, I was with John for uh, four years, touring and recording, and, uh, you know, I, out of all the, I, I've been lucky to work with uh, some big names through the course of my, uh, my touring career, 
but you know with john uh i've I've never experienced anything like it since uh you know he befriended the band and uh in this one occasion flew us in to aston for a few days off and uh you know any other artist would put you in a hotel and and get back to you in a few days when it's time to go back to work but john actually took his uh four-piece band up to his private cabin at the tree line in the rocky mountains for uh our days off to fish with them to uh to cook the fish and hang out and kick back and uh well i i uh i look back on that time as how how lucky we were to really spend that time with john before we continue our interview with chris knoll we are going to play for you the song in question that chris was just talking about enjoy woods lake
Wow. So do you think that there is a a contrast between Denver as a musician and a public figure and Denver the way he actually was? Because a lot of the time we have an artist who there's a very, very different dividing line between what they let the public see and what their pers- what they really are like in their personal life. Do you think there's a dividing line there with Denver? Because it sounds like maybe it was a bit blurred. Well, uh that's that's a great question. Uh, you know, my perception is he was the same, you know, whether we were sitting on that dock at his lake or, you know, on tour. John, John, uh, you know, John had his ups and downs like any human being. But, uh, no, I didn't see a major dividing line. Um, John was notorious for just putting his taking care of his band first class and, you know, uh, not separating himself from them like a, a lot of iconic superstars do uh there's usually to be honest there's usually a huge huge separation between this star and uh the band or crew or and with john uh, there was very little separation sure now one thing i also wanted to briefly touch on is that the unique part about john denver's music is that uh it's a very personal kind of music, perhaps even more so than most artists of his generation or most artists in history. Um, A lot of people who enjoy John Denver have a personal connection to his music on a very personal level. So for me, as as I mentioned to you, uh, the first song I ever learned as a musician myself was this old guitar on my guitar. The first, uh, well, but the, the song I played at my grandmother's memorial service when she passed away was Country Roads. So for me, it's it's very ingrained in my in my my culture and my bones as a musician and a person because I grew up in the Rocky Mountains and I was always surrounded by his music. So the question I'm getting at right here is that John Denver for my generation, um, and I'm 20. So John Denver for my generation is very different than previous generations. When people of my generation hear that I enjoy his music. It's almost a little bit hokey for them. They don't really get it. Uh, they, they, you know, they, they think of it as a little hokey or a little, uh, old fashioned, a little awkward. Um, how do we keep John Denver's music alive and kicking year after year, long after he's, you know, mm-hmm. gone away? How do we do it? Well, I've had uh, uh, my flyaway album is 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 one of my efforts to to do that. Of course, I present his songs in a totally different uh, format. But as you heard, his there's something magical about his melodies and uh, his stories and his voice. And when all three of those come together. I think the listener either gets it or they don't. Um, I was uh, just looking around online to uh, see how large John's fan base currently is, and I believe, according to one uh, social media um, website, you know, it's it's well over. It is millions. Oh, most certainly. Yeah. So. It's funny you mentioned the hokey thing. You know, I've I've worked with a a really uh, 
another great country artist uh, here out of Nashville uh, named Travis Tripp. And Travis is known for his uh, slamming country rock sound and his gravelly voice. And uh, it's kind of like a rock and roll country thing. Uh, We played Sturgis, you know, for bikers and stuff. So you can imagine that whole scene uh, toured with Leonard Skinner. So, you know, I got to know Travis a little bit. It's like, he confided, he pulled me over to the side and uh, confided in me that John Denver was uh, one of the reasons he started playing guitar. <laughs> and, I, you know, I hear this uh, from more people than you would think and, and from people you wouldn't imagine were influenced by John, such as Travis Tritt. So I think John's uh, influences run deep uh, through all different types of musicians and fans and uh, personalities and music enthusiasts so sure. i don't know if i answered your question but but no you but did john's you... music is alive and uh hopefully the younger generations will uh hear it and appreciate it most certainly so now to briefly move away from john denver i want to talk about what you've been doing post john denver so in 2007 you put out fly away which is that piano perspectives record now, even before that, you put out a bunch of really intriguing records, uh, a boogie piano record, Songs of the High Country, Songs of the Wide Horizon, Little Rum Boogie, really compelling stuff. Uh, this is all post-John Denver. So what are, you, what are you doing here? What are you trying to do with your music now as a solo performer? Well, I am uh, man, I'm trying to be creative. I've got to be honest with you. Uh, John left us in 1997. It's a long time ago, 18 years ago. And um, here we are talking about John and my career with John, which is awesome. And I'm sure it'll go on for at least another 20 years. Uh, As far as my music, I make my living um, here out of Nashville, Tennessee, by uh, doing recording sessions. I produce other artists. I tour with uh, other artists. I'm currently out with the great Don Williams. We've been doing a fall tour. And I make Chris Knoll records and music. Uh, I think it's to follow the, you ask me what am I doing or how I'm doing it. It's really to follow my, my creative passions. And my big motivation is to actually follow through. Everyone wants to do a record. Everybody writes songs and they lay around for months and months or years and years. And, and, and my, my new uh, commitment to myself is to actually put the time in and create new product, new songs for people hopefully to enjoy and fulfill my creativity. I'm working on a new record now that pays tribute um, to all my blues and rock and roll piano influences. So the... You know, the the new record is infused with, uh, you know, the Johnny Johnson rock and roll piano and the Professor Longhair New Orleans piano. And uh, hopefully I'll have that out early next year. We'll see. But, you know, it's to keep keep doing it. Just keep whatever um, you need to express, uh, make a plan and, and try to follow through with it in a timely, timely manner. 
Sure, sure, because you actually answered my next question, and that was going to be, what are you doing next? And that record sounds fascinating. I would love to listen to that. I can't wait for that. I'll tell you what, you'll be one of the first to hear it. Oh, Maybe in advance for you. What do you think? Oh, by all means, I would love that. I would absolutely love that. So uh, after Fly Away, you also did uh, another point of view, which has some really fascinating stuff on it—a killer version of When the Saints Go Marching In, stuff like House of the Rising Sun, Amazing Grace, and then uh, just last year you did a Christmas, Christmas, which is a great little Christmas record. So now you're working on that other record now are all these independently released or do you have a label backing you i do not have a label i uh you know i've been doing this uh for the past 15 years i've worked with uh other labels at one point in the early 2000s and had some success with that but i'll tell you i you know it's the the music business now i believe is uh, the independent artists Recording artists is is an advantage to uh, a global audience, which we we never had uh, access to before. Uh, so I am an independent artist with my own record label. To answer your question, uh, it puts a, a burden on the artist to uh, perform a lot of tasks that the record labels used to do. But you know, don't get me started on that. I you know I. I <laughs> I know uh, quite a few people that have sold a million or more records and and uh, were kind of left holding the bag, too. So there, there's different stories concerning that, the pros and cons. But for an independent artist who has a uh, plan and a fan base and is good with social media, I think it can make some headway and hopefully uh, stay in business, you know, when sure. all said. Sure. Well, I'm happy you touched on that because at the end of the day, the jukebox is a pub is a uh, a podcast for independent musicians. So I'm happy Amen. that uh, we can touch on you as an independent musician. Now, earlier this week, I talked with a very fascinating musician, and he's and him and I uh, bounced back and forth about about the pros and cons of streaming. And I thought I'd get your thought on this because you're an independent musician now; it's releasing your own music. Um, what do you think about your music going out to things like Spotify and Apple Music and uh, Tidal and all these new services that don't necessarily pay you a lot for what you're actually putting out? Great question. Yeah, there, there's. Uh, I've seen a few blogs. I've seen many blogs concerning this. Okay, streaming music. Streaming music is quelching uh, downloads and physical. CD sales. We all know that, and it's getting streaming is taking over. My wife is the biggest music fan in the world, uh, and she lives on Spotify. Uh, once in a while, she'll still download an album, and uh, I, I consider my wife like a, a typical music musical enthusiast. Uh, I'm not. I'm in the business. I look at music totally different. But I, you know, I watch her. And, you know. So she's streaming all day long, enjoying this wonderful music. Uh, she purchases less and less, and like like most people. But um, there is there is a light at the end of the tunnel for streaming, and it's not necessarily the writer royalties because um, 
Wow, they they are so minuscule. But there there is a new horizon called Performer Royalties, and a collection agency uh, called Sound Exchange. I don't know if you've heard of that or or are familiar with them yet, but they are monitoring streaming, and and for an artist who could stream enough as the performer, not not even the writer, you know, as the performer. Um, in comes uh, people are starting to see profits from that, um, and I think that's the future for a lot of musicians is to have a lot of your content being used online, and hopefully the collections agencies are picking up their works, collecting money, and forwarding it to the uh, the recording artists. Sure, and uh, you, couldn't you also argue that it's a discovery tool? that uh, even though they may not be buying your record uh, uh, in a physical copy, they might go out and see you as an artist and a performer or anything like that. I, I think uh, that is certainly true. Uh, but keep in mind, it's funny, like booking booking a gig now, you know, you, you're limited to a certain location with a certain, you know, for any artist, you're, you're a few dozen people or a few hundred people. And then, uh, you know, you look at your Internet audience, which could be a billion people, which it's hard to even picture that in your head. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, it could influence uh, live gig uh, attendance. It, it could. I personally haven't seen that because I don't tour much as a as personal. I've toured a lot uh, being a supportive musician. I'm actually doing a show this weekend as uh, a solo performance of you know my music in New Jersey, and has streaming helped uh, sell tickets? I don't think so, I, in this case. But for a band who is touring hard and um, people are hearing their music online, sure, sure, it could help. I think so. Sure, because you're absolutely right. I'm actually I have your Spotify right in front of me right now. And it's kind of fascinating to look at. I don't know if you've taken a look at this, but your top five places where people are listening to you are Salt Lake City, New York, Los Angeles, Chicago, and London. Uh, See that? Yeah. So <laughs> none of the places you're actually stationed. But those yeah, are they're the... not going to help me Saturday night, are they? <laughs> no, probably not. But uh, that's that's very fascinating. But it's interesting to see that you're not necessarily against it because we do have some uh, performers who are so adamantly anti-streaming that uh, they pull their music down very much in the style of, uh, you know, like Neil, yeah. Neil Young perhaps has most notably done that. And yeah. I'm not sure if that's the way to go because it, it, it kind of alienates a specific audience because, as you said, your wife um, is a perfect example of this. She lives on Spotify because it's convenient. It's a discovery tool. You can find new music. And uh, if you're, say, say, let's take Neil Young for an example because he's, uh, he just pulled all his stuff off streaming. Uh, if you're a Neil Young, if you're not a Neil Young fan, it's easier for you to go on the Spotify and have access to his whole catalog and be able to hear whatever you want to hear and learn about him yep. than it is to go and try to find those CDs or find those records, however else you're going to discover them. Absolutely. And, you know, uh, you, you can't turn back uh, what's happening here with the music business. I, I think it's really about adaptation and reconfiguring your plan to uh, 
reach fans and reach people that will come to your gigs or, you know, if they're a real fan, they're going to support you one way or the other, whether it's uh, via downloads, CDs, or uh, coming to your show. Uh, you know, Neil Young has had a very successful career and could afford to experiment with decisions like that. But I don't think you're, the normal indie, independent artists could could afford to, to to do that. I don't think they're going to accomplish what they're trying to accomplish. Yeah, I agree. I very much agree. So to wrap things up now, uh, you're going to be putting out that record hopefully early next year. That sounds yeah. very exciting. And to confirm, that's kind of a retrospective of your influences as a pianist in rock and blues and stuff, correct? Yes, uh, totally, totally. And... Um, I'm uh, I'm reworking a few songs I've had out in the past, which had wonderful feedback, and I'm just updating two or three versions of tunes. Uh, uh, just just adding some nice new touches to them. So uh, uh, I'm actually doing a new version of House of the Rising Sun um, and two other tracks that have been released, but kind of under the radar. And we're gonna really uh, get this record out to where it needs to be, and uh, hopefully to folks like you and, and get a big thumbs up with very, some, uh, very cool like that so where else can people find you online people can find you on spotify by searching chris Knoll. the last name everyone is just n-o-l-e where else can they find you online if they want to keep up to date with where you're playing live uh what you're doing etc um thank you for asking uh i am really easy to find uh mainly because my name, Chris Noel, N-O-L-E. The only guy that I compete with is Christopher Nolan, that the movie director. <laughs> so his name comes up when you type me in. But, uh, yeah, I'm easy to find. Type me in, chrisnoel.com, or, you know, dozens of other links come up when, when uh, you Google me. And uh, hopefully you'll find some music you like to listen to. Wonderful. And, uh, and I do, you know, I do recording sessions for people around the world too. People get in touch with me for that all the time. We do uh, online recording and stuff like that. So, very, very. I feel cool. like I'm involved. Uh, you know, I'm not just limited to the city I live in anymore. As far as uh, exposing music and uh, collaborating with other producers and musicians, uh, this is this uh, this whole new music business has been working well for me. So that's awesome because some artists who you know cuz you're a you're an artist originally born out of an era where you were playing with John Denver and even way before that and some artists don't necessarily acclimate as well to an era of this massive interconnectivity and to some it's daunting but it really sounds like you're embracing that because you're on your social media you have a great Spotify that has uh you know hundreds of monthly listeners uh, you're really connecting, you're playing, you said you're doing essentially session musician work over the internet, correct? Yeah, I sure am. And uh, based out of Nashville, you know, uh, the Nashville session player, uh, for, for, for the Nat Nashville session player, times have changed, and uh, I've been adapting to that. Uh, of course, a lot of online production and stuff like that, opposed to driving down to Music Row and and, and doing it that way. Although there is some of that, but it's it's different now. Things are different. I see. Very cool. Now, is there anything else you'd like to plug to our audience that they can check out or that's important to you? 
Man, I just want to plug you. Uh, I, I, I really <laughs> appreciate meeting you. And uh, I don't know the folks listening uh, here. Uh, we just had a, a random meeting online, and uh, we talked about my record, and uh, things have went well. And I'm, I'm glad to consider, uh, consider you a new uh, acquaintance and friend in the music business. Very, very much so. I love what you're doing. Keep doing it. We'll, we'll have you back on the show, perhaps, when you put out that new record, if you'd like to. And we'll talk all about that, because I bet there's going to be a lot to talk about. Uh, so thanks so much for sitting down with us. Uh, good luck on your show on Saturday. We'll direct people on over to your site. And uh, keep rocking. Check out Chris Knoll. And in particular, Fly Away is a phenomenal record if you are a John... Denver fan, but that said, the holiday season's coming up here. He has a great holiday record. He has some great boogie stuff. Uh, all sorts of fun stuff all over his streaming website. All that good stuff. Check out Chris Knoll. Thanks again, Chris. It was wonderful. Thank you. It was great talking to you, and we shall talk again. Absolutely. To close out our segment with Chris Knoll, we're going to play another one of his original songs. This is Can't Take It With You. Everybody knows now. 
That's going to about wrap it up for this episode of The Jukebox. You can expect another special report this coming Friday, the day after Thanksgiving, and you can also expect another special report after that, followed by uh, a full episode of The Jukebox early next week with all of the music. I would like to throw out a huge thanks to Chris Knoll for taking the time to sit down with me and talk about all that. I hope that was as, as fascinating and enlightening to you as it was for me and entertaining. He's a really talented guy who is also very charismatic and fun to interview. I really love talking with him and I'm so happy to have a relationship with him now. And I'd also like to throw out a very big thanks to Plectone, the sponsor of this month's episodes. Uh, we're going to be talking with Robert Taylor in an upcoming special report this weekend all about Plectone, what exactly they are, what they do, and that's a little bit why I didn't touch on them as heavily this episode as I normally do because we're going to talk about them quite a bit in that. But it's actually a very, very compelling piece that I know for a fact all of you are really going to enjoy because we don't just sit there and and, and, and try to get to sell you a product, because that's not what it's about. Robert is a musician, he is in the industry, he loves what he does, and his product is a really cool product for musicians that is, is building and changing, and he's putting out a new version of it. Uh, he is a fantastic person to look to in the industry that is a proponent of good music, quality music, getting involved in the community. He's a great guy with a great product. So we're going to talk with him later this week. If you want to check Plectone out, you can go to Plectone.com and see all the cool stuff they are doing. Their picks are very, very, very much worth your time. If you are a guitarist, I can't tell you enough how much they have changed the way I play my guitars because they all sound a little bit different on each guitar and they all produce a different timber and they are spectacular. So check them out, Plectone, and look for that upcoming special report when it drops. Without anyway, um, that'll do it. So I hope you enjoyed the special report. Please write in. Let me know. You can write in at jukeboxpodcast at gmail.com. You can uh, follow us on jukeboxpodcast.com. We are available on all major podcasting streaming platforms. And if you want to follow me on Twitter and connect with me there, I love it when you guys do that. I am at Rivers Rubin, uh, R-I-V-E-R-S, Rubin. R-U-B-I-N. You can connect with me there, and that'll do it. Have a great Thanksgiving if you're here in the States, and have a great couple days if you aren't, and we'll see you again on Friday with another special report of The Jukebox. Have something to tell us? Did we turn you onto your new favorite band? Write into jukeboxpodcast at gmail.com and we'll read your message on the next show. The Jukebox is available on all major podcast platforms, including iTunes. You can subscribe and listen to the show at jukeboxpodcast.com. While you're there, download a free album this month from one of the bands that was featured in this episode. 